0: There were two guys who were stranded on a desert island, and one of them was, he was so nervous, afraid that he was never going to be found, afraid he was never going to be rescued. The other guy just laid back underneath one of the trees, relaxed, closed his eyes, and the man who was nervous ran over to him and shook him and said, how can you just stand here or lay here and and be so calm? And how can you not seem to be so upset about the situation that we're in? The guy said, hey, I'm not worried. I make $100,000 a week. I said, well, it does you no good because you're here. He said, sure it does. I give 10% to my church. My preacher will find me. Yeah. (laughs) See, some of you, we come looking for on a weekly basis. We're tracking you down. Hey, we are so glad that you are here this morning, that you've come to be a part. Isn't it true that we notice people that give great gifts? People that do something extraordinary, people that give in some big way, we kind of take notice of. But what we've been trying to learn over the last few weeks here in our studies on generosity and giving is that God notices those who are great in their trust. The individuals who demonstrate generosity on God's scale are not necessarily those who give the most money, but those who demonstrate the most faith. It's the faith that offers the gift. That is what truly ends up getting God's attention. And in fact, as you look through Scripture, it's often those who were the least that God praises for giving the most. We're going to look at a couple of those examples here a little bit later on during our worship time this morning. But first, I just want you to think about something and just have it, have it running through your mind for a few minutes. Why is it that God's people play keep away from God? Why do God's people play keep away from God when it comes to our money, when it comes to our time, when it comes to our talents? Now, I'm not trying to say that you never give anything to God. I'm not trying to say that you hide everything away. But here's what we do more often than not. We give God our money, and we give God our time, and we give God our talents from what's left over from our excess. I mean if we have enough on Sunday, then we'll give. If there is enough time during the week, then we'll serve. If we think that there is some greatness within us, then we will offer our talents to the kingdom. Maybe it's because we don't live in agrarian society anymore. Maybe it's because most of us, um, you know, are no longer raised on the farm and have to depend on those things that we grow ourselves in order to sustain our life. But there was a principle that was applied throughout Scripture that I think is important for us to remember. And it was the idea of the first fruits. The idea that when the harvest came in, that individuals would take that first harvest the first from the ground, the first things that, that have grown up from their toil and labor. And they would take these first and they would offer them to God in faith that the rest of the harvest would come in. I want you to consider a passage from Proverbs chapter 3. It says, Honor the Lord your God with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Do you understand that as you read this right here, at the point that God's trying to get across, He's saying, do not make me second. He's saying, don't make me second in the way in which you live your life, in the way in which you you keep those things to yourself. Make me first and see what happens. And this is something that we have been wrestling with since the very beginning of creation. Can God be trusted with what is first in my life? I don't know. Maybe the idea of the first fruits is something that truly needs to come back. It's something that we need to to hold on to. It's something that we need to rediscover in our own life. Because the greatest indicator, the greatest indicator of our theology is actually our generosity. Don't talk to me about the songs that you sing. Don't talk to others about the books that you read. It is your generosity that truly shows where your faith is. Can you trust God with the things that are first in your life? Let's sing some more. Thanks, Derek. Not only uh, does the worship that we offer uh, sound beautiful this morning here in this room, but also on the web. Uh, we have uh, members of our church family and others across the world wide web that are listening and uh, watching and worshiping and participating today with us. And uh, I know uh, we hear comments uh, from individuals who have used this service in the past about uh, how much they enjoy being able to sing along, to, uh, to worship God with the church family here. And we thank the um, tech guys for the work that they do to uh, make sure that this uh, takes place and we thank you for the worship that you give. Not only is it uh, given in praise to God, but it is encouraging to the people who are here and also to those who are listening in other places today. So in the Bible, God highlights stories of, of people who hardly had anything and who had great reason to be afraid, but yet were willing to trust God with the things that were first in their life. When we think about this idea of living the dream of the kingdom, Living the dream of being able to be with God, to be in God's presence, to be able to be overseen by God, it is something where when we begin to truly understand, we begin to pinch ourselves saying, it is an amazing thing to be able to be called the children of God. And then we ask ourselves, how should we live and what should we live for? And in our society today, in our materialistic culture, more and more the pursuit of living the dream means trying to accumulate more and more and trying to build wealth. It's trying to be able to prepare for uncertain future events. But what you see as you go to Scripture is that the idea of living the dream is that as the blessings of God come in, they are then given out and they are shared And they are used to enrich the lives of others. We're going to highlight two specific stories today. One coming from our Old Testament and one coming from the Gospels there in the New Testament. The first is the story of Elijah. There's a famine in the land and times are difficult. And God sends Elijah outside of Israel's borders to a Gentile town called Zarephath. And he goes to a widow there who was alone only with her son, and times were so bad that her plan was that she was going to make one more offering of bread, one more meal that she was going to prepare for her and her son, and then they were going to die. And Elijah comes to her house, and he does so on the direction of God. And God has already asked of the lady to feed his prophet. She has a choice. Feed the prophet of God or feed her, her son and have the last meal herself. There's not enough food for everyone. So what is it that they're going to do? The story is found in First Kings chapter 17. I encourage you to open up there if you'd like to. 1 Kings chapter 17. And I want you to listen to what Elijah tells her. He says to the woman, don't be afraid. See, here's the choice. Don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said. But make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said. And she and Elijah and her son continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. You see, here is the woman in very tough times. She has limited resources, and she has a choice that she has to make. Can God be trusted? Now, what makes this very interesting is that this is a woman who had probably very limited knowledge of the God of Israel. She is not an Israelite. She's not a Hebrew. She is not someone who necessarily would be understanding of the demands that is placed upon her by this deity saying, I want you to feed my prophet. And so she has to decide, can God be trusted? And maybe you're new to the Christian faith. Maybe this is the one of the first times that you have been in a setting such as this, or you're exploring the different expectations of God, you're exploring the different teachings of Jesus. And maybe what you're wondering yourself is, can God really be trusted in the things that He is asking of me? I mean, after all, if you walk away from those who are poor influences in your life, can God be trusted with your new life? Can God be trusted to open the door to healthier relationships? If you reorder your priorities, will God bring success into your midst? If you invest financially in the kingdom of God, will He see fit to make sure that there is enough money for you for the basics? Can He be trusted when you only have enough for today? It's interesting. And Jesus, what we know as the Lord's Prayer, the disciples would go to Him and ask, Lord, why don't you teach us to pray? And He says, Our Father who art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name. Give us this day, do you know what he says? Our daily bread. Not tomorrow's bread. Not next week's. It is a trust for today. It is a principle that was being taught to this woman. It's a principle that we're still learning because it illustrates a foundational biblical principle. God is willing, he is even eager to reward, but only that which we are willing to release. He's willing to reward, to give back, only that which we are willing to let go. Principle is seen in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. Jesus says, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over, poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. God returns what it is that we are willing to release. But He's not just talking about money here. This is not just a financial principle. Look back in verse 36 in this particular passage. He says, I want you to be merciful, I want you to be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. He says, I don't want you to be judging because you'll be judged. Don't condemn others or it's going to come back to you. Forgive as you have been forgiven. And here's the point I think that's being made. What is it that you want from God? Is it mercy? Then show some. Desiring forgiveness? Then give some. What blessing is it that you desire? We receive only to the point that we're willing to give it away. Because God does not bless hoarders. It's great to watch that show, you know? You watch that on television, the hoarding show? And then any of you... Are you afraid that some of your in-laws are going to end up there? Are you afraid that you're going to turn on the television one night and there is going to be somebody in your family and they're going to be on the hoarding show? It's amazing the things that people keep. And sometimes we hold back from God. And God says, listen, I want to bless and I want to pour out, but I don't intend for my blessings to be hoarded away. He intends for his blessings to be shared with others. You see, God blesses seed that is sown, not seed that is stored. He's eager to give only what we're willing to release. It's a principle that's found here in his story with Elijah. The second story takes place at Passover. It's the last days of Jesus' life on earth. It's been a long day. He's been in the temple courts. His critics have been on his back asking one question after another. And finally, he has time to be with his disciples. And here's what he does. He actually sits and he watches the offering. He watches as people go and give. In the court of women located there in the temple complex, there were 13 trumpet-shaped metal containers. And it was into these containers that you would go and you would drop your offering. Now because these were metal, they were, they were prone to make loud noises whenever coins were dropped in. And historical writings say that people learned how to throw their money in in such a way so that it would make a really big noise. And so, there you are in the temple, and it's crowded, and there are people all mulling around, and all of a sudden, you hear this clang, 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 and you stop because, you know, somebody just gave a great offering to the Lord. Well, who was that that gave so much? And you hear all this clang, 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 and all this money that's falling, and you're like, wow, did you hear how much they gave? And in the midst of all of this, there is an almost silent ping, ping. And Jesus gathers His disciples around, and He says, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you about this woman who gave everything. I like the way that the text is worded. You can read about it in Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 41. Jesus calls His disciples around and says, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions, for they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything that she had to live on. You see, Jesus is saying that this woman is living out the principle that he had taught just earlier in the day. Critics had come asking, what is the most important? Over 600 commands and commandments that you could find in the old text and they want to know what is the most important of it all and he says it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart soul mind and strength because the Lord your God the Lord is one and that's what the woman did she loved the Lord with everything that she had you see we tend to measure our love by how much we give away but I think Jesus measures love by how much we keep back think about that for a minute We focus on an amount, but God focuses on capacity and attitude. What is your capacity to give and what was your attitude when you gave it? That's the true demonstration of your love. Not about how many zeros are on the end of some check, not about how much time it was that you spent giving yourself to a certain ministry, but what was your capacity and what was your attitude? Booker T. Washington, when he was trying to to raise money to purchase a farm area that would one day be known as Tuskegee Institute. Ran into trouble trying to raise the $500 that was needed. And so he solicited funds from individuals all across the country. an elderly woman came to his office one day and her clothes were tattered but clean. She said she had spent most of her life as a slave. And that she wanted a better future for her children. She said, so I must do my part. So she reached into the pockets of her apron and she pulled out six eggs. And she said, these are all that I have. And they're for the children. Booker T. Washington would write and say that of all the gifts and of all the honors that he ever received, nothing touched him more than those six eggs what does our capacity and attitude toward giving tell the world is the most important commandment in our life? Do we demonstrate that God can be trusted with the things in our life that are first? So we've spent now three weeks talking about this idea together. And last week, those of you who are present know that Our elders went into adult Bible classes, even in with our middle schoolers and teenagers to to talk about this subject, to talk about our generosity, to talk about our giving, to talk about uh, the budget allocations here at East Brainerd. I know it's one of those times that everybody can't wait to rush to Bible class. But you know what? Here's the cool thing. I mentioned yesterday just last week, that our elders were going to be teaching in the Bible classes, and one of our elders, I'm not going to tell you who, but he's married to Kim Gary, leaned over and looked at his wife and said, oh no, they're not going to come now. (laughs) And yet, do you know that we had around 700 who were here for worship, and our Bible class number for last week was 619? Yeah, you stayed. You stayed to hear from your shepherds. And I want to say thank you for that. I don't think you stayed necessarily because it was dealing with money or because it was dealing with finances. If anything, perhaps that would be a reason for you to decide, you know what, I'm just going to skip Bible class today and come back on another occasion. But you wanted to hear from your shepherds and you wanted to be able to give your input and be heard. And I want to say again, thank you for that. Your shepherds enjoyed being a part of your classes and they enjoyed the feedback that they received from being able to. To share with you. And as we're kind of winding down these, these ideas that we have been looking at when it comes to our offering, I, I just want to suggest three takeaways. Three things that if you want to kind of write them down on your glory, praise, and honor, if you, if you want to make um, notes of these in your, in somewhere in a text, you're welcome to. Here's the first one. Generosity is even for the least. See, I don't don't want you to think, I don't want you to leave here thinking, you know, I would like to support the work of God, and I would like to be on mission with God, and I would like to give better to my church, and I I just wish I had more in terms to offer Him. I wish I had more in terms of money. I wish I had more in terms of of my time and, and my talents, but I just don't think I have much. Read your Bible. The best givers in your Bible did not have much. Not being able to do much is no excuse for doing nothing. And we mentioned that that is the case for a majority of our East Brainerd congregation. Though we have a congregation made up of many generous individuals, the majority of our East Brainerd family has made the choice not to, on a regular basis, give towards the ministries that are here. Not to give towards the expectations that the elders have, not to give towards the, the needs that are present. One of the things that was brought up is that sometimes it is easier to give when there is a specific need. And we mentioned that we're going to try to have less of those actual special giving opportunities than we have in the past, trying to take some of those special offerings and we've tried to work those already into our yearly budget. What we want you to understand is that each year, our elders, on the advice of our ministry leaders and deacons who give the numbers that they need for their ministry to our elders, our elders come before a congregation and say, these are the needs. These are the needs that we see for 2017. These are areas where we need to devote our giving. So each and every week that we come together and those baskets are passed, I would encourage you to think of each time you have an opportunity to give as giving to a special offering. Each week, we are having a special offering towards a set, a set list, a set budget of things that we would like to be able to fund in 2017. In 2018, that list of special givings might be different. And so, each time that we're able to come together, you have the opportunity to do that. Or you might want to take advantage, and we encourage you to do so, to go online and to sign up for our online giving. Information is given in your glory, praise, and honor, and you can have it set up where you can go on each week and give that way. You can have it be taken out weekly or, or bi weekly, monthly, however it is that you would like to give your first fruits to the Lord. But we would encourage you that no matter from the least to the greatest, to bring your first fruits to God. Bring your offering and trust that those who are are overseeing these finances will distribute those in a way that brings honor and glory to God and in a way then which broadens the impact of the kingdom. You see, God is not interested in how you would steward what you don't have. But He cares a great deal about how you do steward what by His grace you do have. And hard times and low resources are no excuse for having an ungenerous spirit. Now, here's the second take home. God can only bless something that makes him first. It's morally impossible for God to bless seconds. Because understand, if God did this, then he would be saying that there's something more important than him. There's something out there that is more important, something out there that truly does take precedence. And God can't do that. Now understand, if you give God leftovers, he can certainly use those to benefit and bless others. But I do not believe that Scripture shows that we will receive the blessing of God because he cannot bless seconds. I heard about a missionary who, who knew that there was this woman living in a certain town who had been making bean cakes She was involved in an accident, and it severely injured her to the extent that for many months she was unable to make these cakes, and and that was the source of her income. But she was able to recover, and she gave the credit to her healing to God, and she came to the missionary and said, in the past I have always given 10% of whatever I made from selling my cakes to the Lord. But out of my generosity for His healing from now on, I am going to give 33%. Lord willing, one third of all that I make. And she said, In the first week, the first week that I began to make my cakes again, I hope to be able to make three shillings, and God is going to receive one of them. In just a few days, she returned to the missionary and she said, Here's the Lord's shilling. He was pretty impressed. He was shocked even. He said, I can't believe that you've already been able to make three shillings in just two days. And the woman looked at him in a perplexed way and she said, I haven't made three shillings. I've only made one. But I trust God that I'll make two more. You see, she gets it that God never asked for leftovers because it does not take faith to give him seconds. It doesn't. Faith is judging God faithful. Faith is living in the belief that God is trustworthy. In hard times, don't excuse unfaithfulness. In fact, hard times are an opportunity to choose faithfulness. And I'm hard-pressed to believe that at the end of our life, any of us would be willing to say that we had trusted God too much. Just trusted Him too much. Trusted him with my money too much. Trusted him with my kids too much. I trusted him with my future too much. I trusted him with my retirement too much. I trusted him with my marriage too much. So one final thing. My generosity is an indicator of my faith. And it's an indicator of yours. Jesus doesn't care a thing about making money. Money. You need to hear this. Individuals come and say, churches talk about money all the time. Jesus doesn't, he doesn't care about making money. He cares about making disciples. And so someone says, all right, I will follow Jesus. What percentage of my income should he have? And that's easy, 100%. 100%. So we don't have to get in this debate about, all right, is it 10%? Is it t- the tithing principle of the Old Testament? Should we give, be given more under the law of grace? How much should we give off the top? Is it the gross? Is it the net? How much of my income should Jesus have? And the answer is every single penny. Every single penny. Because in Jesus' own words, he says, if you want to follow me, then you give up everything that you have. You can read about it in Luke chapter 14. If you're going to call Jesus Lord, then you give Him permission to give you insight on how to steward every single thing that you own. It is His agenda, and it is His kingdom, and it is His treasure that comes first. And the way that I show my faith is by the way in which I faithfully steward those things that He has given me. You see, we need to understand that our monetary offerings might serve as a means To support our ministries. But first and foremost, our monetary offerings serve as a measure to the depth of our faith. We do not give on a weekly basis so that bills can be paid. Do you understand that? We don't pass these baskets so that staff can get a check. We don't pass these baskets just so we can make sure that certain ministries are accomplished. Yeah, now is that an end result? Sure. But the reason that we give a, a weekly offering is so that faith can be displayed. That's the heart of the matter. That's the essence of what we're about. The good that your monetary offering might do in the future is secondary to the faith that your monetary offering displays right now. And so the idea that I am not going to give because I don't like the ministries that we're a part of is unbiblical. Or the idea that I don't, I don't like the way in which the different salaries are distributed and so I'm not going to give, it's unbiblical. The idea that I'm going to withhold my offering because I am upset in some way about things that take place within the church, it is unbiblical. Because first and foremost, our offering is a demonstration of our faith that we are bringing our first fruits to God. And the way in which those monies are used, the way in which the finances are distributed, those who are in charge of that within each and every congregation, they will answer for the way in which those monies are used for the kingdom before the Lord. It is your responsibility and it is mine To bring God the first fruits. You say, Well, I give in other ways. Wonderful. Keep giving in other ways. But understand that giving of your time and service does not relieve you of the responsibility to bring God the first fruits of your monetary harvest. You see, when I give God my first fruits, I'm declaring that I'm going to trust his character more than I trust my own fears. If you've been here for the last few weeks, you know that I have a new best friend, right? I have a new best friend. Uh, Ross Workman is his name. He's one of our um, seniors here. And Ross is my new best friend because a few weeks ago, I brought Ross up on stage and, and I handed him my wallet. And then you might remember that I asked um, I asked Ross to make sure he took good care of that and so he went and sat down with his family and, and he held that wallet up for almost the remainder of the service. And last week he was there sitting by his dad and there he was holding up my wallet because I wanted to see where my money was because we learned a principle from God that that wherever our treasure is our heart begins to follow, right? And, and remember I told you that I trusted, I trusted Ross, right? Well. My trust was put on, I tell you, it was was really the rubber met the road with my trust because uh, Ross is not here today. Ross went to to Disney World. He really did. Now, um, this might be a little far back. Go go to the next one. There we go. Um, uh, I'm not going to say I don't trust Ross, but... I wanted to make sure I, I knew how my money was, was doing. And so, uh, I think there's another one. There he is waiting for, um, I think that was the um, Ex- Expedition Kilimanjaro that he was going to um, going to be going on. And he's getting on the uh, rocking roller coaster right there. And I, I didn't want to creep him out, so I, I had some people taking pictures from a, from a distance because I didn't want to creep him out, you know, too much about it. And now this one bothered me. <laughs> uh, this this one bothers me just Can you trust God with what's most important to you? Can I trust that if Ross is walking around with my money and that I see him then leaving a store with boxes Can I trust that he is using that money in a way that is going to be all right? You see, if I truly trust, then yeah. You see, it's been funny to be able to laugh as Ross has held up that wallet here in our worship and all the way as he walked around Disney. But I'm hoping that it's got across a very important point to you. Because here's what we're doing, guys. We're trying to keep tabs on God. We're trying to keep tabs on God and we're a little concerned about how God might use our money if we were to give it over to Him. And so, we hoard and we want to keep things back. And we say that we trust. We say that we trust God and that we believe that he is going to bless and, and we believe that he takes care of his people, but just like me, it is a half-trust that I still want to keep my eye on what he is doing, and I still want to know what is it that he's going to be buying? What is he going to be purchasing? What will the Lord do with my gifts? Can you trust God with the things that are first? First? In your life. That's your question. Have we been talking about money? Yeah. Have we been talking about your marriage? Mm-hmm. Have we been talking about the way in which you're raising your children and they're going off to college and yeah. Have we been talking about the way in, in which you are prioritizing your your retirement years? Yeah. Have we been talking about the way in which you participate in the kingdom of God. You better believe it. Will I trust God with what's first in my life? That's a question that we all have to answer. And may you answer it. As together, we stand and give Him praise.